All right, so Proverbs chapter 11 is where we are. Um, this is our 28th week studying through the book of Proverbs, and um, we're not quite halfway, so this is taking longer than I anticipated. Um, but nevertheless, we want to let the Lord speak. We made our way down through verse 6 last week in, verse, in chapter 11, and we're going to pick it up today in verse 7. And I'm going to read down further than I, it looks like I'm going to make it today, but we'll do that anyway. So if you're with me, Proverbs 11, verse 7, say amen. amen. When a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish and the hope of the unjust perishes. The righteous is delivered from trouble and it comes to the wicked instead. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perishes, there is jubilation. But the blessing of the upright, excuse me, by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of of the wicked. And so, Father, we thank you this morning for the text that you put before us, Lord, and I pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts. Thank you for allowing us to be here this morning, Lord God. I pray that you would remove now from our, our minds and from our hearts the cares of this world, this life, and the burdens of this world, and that you would remove distractions from the room, Lord, that anything that would take our attention away from you, that we would hear what you would have to say to us, Lord, individually as, and collectively. Um, for our lives uh, as believers in these times. And Lord, that we would be strengthened and built up because of it, Lord. We, we yield to you now. We yield to your spirit. Um, and we surrender to what you would say to us, Lord God, whether to encourage or correct us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so as we begin in verse 7, look at it again with me. It says, when a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish, and the hope of the unjust perishes. And it's very interesting that we, we look at this, and there's this theme that seems to be resounding in these verses. And it's very interesting. And this this contrast constantly between the, the righteous and the wicked, the just and the unjust. Solomon is laying these things out for us in such a way um, that it's almost hard to get a full understanding of where is this coming from in Solomon's life. You know, Solomon lived a, deep, a pretty good life in the sense of he was a king, he grew up in the palace, you know, but he's observed all of these things. And one of the things that he's observed is this, this thing where the righteous, if you will, flourish to a degree because of the Lord and the wicked do not. Um, and you think about even in Solomon's life as he watched things unfold even within his nation, the history of his nation, one of the things he understands is that Saul perished and his father David flourished in the Lord. Even though David wasn't a perfect man, David sinned but repented before the Lord, right? That's why he has a heart after God or a man after God's own heart he's said to have because he is quick to repent of his sin and turn back to God. But we saw that even Solomon's own brother tried to usurp the throne and, and had to be taken and dealt with. And so Solomon sees these things and he's pondered these things, even though he's speaking with supernatural wisdom from the Lord, he's still dealing with these truths and he's laying them out for us by the unction of the Holy Spirit. And he's been doing this. If you go back into chapter uh, 10, 
and just glance at verse 24 where he says the fear of the wicked will come upon him. No avoiding it for the wicked. And the desire of the righteous will be granted. You see that contrast? It's a little difficult. We'll talk about it in a moment. But he goes on and he says when the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. There's a picture here. Even verse 28, he says the hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. And now we're down here in chapter 11. And if you remember, even, even last time where we ended in verse 6, notice it says, the righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. All of these things he's pondering, and he continues, even though when he goes away from it to some other topic, he comes back because there are these truths, these things that the Holy Spirit needs us to ponder, and it needs to deal even with us in our own heart today. And so as we look at verse 7 and 8, mostly today, This is what's being dealt with. When a wicked man dies, his expectation perishes. It goes to nothing. It's destroyed. It comes to nothing. And the hope of the unjust perishes. Now, first thing I want to point out as we look at this verse, verse 7, is the language seems to imply some things that we have to remember. Because we can put certain people in the category of wicked. And it's easy to see wicked people and, 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 and it coming to nothing. Like we could think about just through history with the nation of Israel. It's very inter- easy for us to say Pharaoh was wicked because he put baby boys in the Nile River to be eaten by uh, alligators or crocodiles, rather, I should say. Right? It's easy for us to say Herod was wicked because Herod through the, uh, had uh, uh, baby boys slaughtered in Bethlehem trying to take out Messiah. We understand that, right? It's easy for us to say that Hitler was wicked. That's an easy one. But then here he says, but even the, the unjust, the hope of the unjust perishes. And so as we, we look at this, it's, it's very quick for us to be like, well, what, what's going on here? Look, wicked people are wicked, yes, but unjust people, their hope perishes too. And what's the difference? Well, unjust the unjust are simply people who have not been justified by the Lord Jesus Christ. You follow me? So in other words, there are some people that we wouldn't put in the wicked category. We would even say they're pretty good people. I'm like, man, that's a, they, they're good people right there. I wish they could get saved, right? You know people like that? They're awesome. I want them to get saved because I like hanging out with them maybe, right? But unjust people are unjust because they haven't been justified. And the only way to be justified is by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and faith in the victory that he claimed in the resurrection that we then take part and we are justified through faith in Christ and no other way. Does that make sense? So we, when we get these categories of types of people, listen, you only have biblically, and I don't want to get, I'm getting way off topic now already. <laughs> biblically, there's only two types of people from a practical standpoint. All right, there are Jews and then there are Gentiles, okay? Ethnically speaking, according to the plan of God. So all other ethnic groups are grouped into one, one pile called Gentiles. That makes sense? All right, so we see race and have racial issues. God does not, okay? Then, now, spiritually speaking, there's only two types of people as well, unsaved and saved. And so what is that telling me? That, listen, Even a good person who's not saved, their hope will perish as well because the only way it has any any lasting value 
is if we have faith in the Lord. So now let's go back and look at the verse again. It says here, when a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish. Now this word expectation in the Hebrew is very interesting and I'm not going to bore you with my um, attempt to pronounce Hebrew today, okay? Hebrew is a, is a it's, it seems interesting when I try, I like it, um, but there's something going on in the language. It's not the, it's not the rolling of the tongue that you, you hear in Spanish, that's kind of romantic, we like that. No, with, a lot of times with this Hebrew, it's like you're hocking something up out of your throat and like that Middle Eastern flair and I don't, I, I can't do it. So I'm just going to stick to the definition, but it has two implications here. The first one is a cord, um, an attachment, and and that's first used in Joshua chapter two, when the spies were sent into Jericho by Joshua, and they come across a woman named Rahab who was a harlot. Y'all remember that? And they stay at her house, you know. And I, I won't have fun with that one today. I'll keep moving. Okay. Now she houses them because she wanted to protect them and she has a conversation with them and she says that all of the people of my my city in Jericho are afraid of you because they've heard what your God did to the Egyptians and we know that he's going to deliver our city into your hands therefore remember me when y'all come in to take the city down and they gave her this cord this scarlet cord to tie on her house so when they came back in they would remember her house her father's house and preserve it you follow me they wouldn't destroy it as the the rest of Jericho is being taken out all right, and the second implement, uh, uh, implication with this word is simply what we would expect, hope or outcome or the thing longed for. And so what it seems to be implying here is this word expectation is, the, the, is what you are tied to, what you are, if you will, given to, what you are longing for, what you hope will come to pass. You follow me? So for, y'all good? All right, so then for the wicked, what they're longing for, what they're tied to, what their what de desire to see come to pass, when they die, it all dies with them. And it doesn't come to pass. And you begin to think about the hopes of the wicked, what they're tied to. In fact, the wicked are so tied to their rebellious pursuit against God that they can't hear this message. And, and, and even though all things are about God or within the creation of God and they can see what's coming, they want to defy him nevertheless. And so they are even trying to defy death itself. They're trying to figure out how to download the consciousness from the brain and hold on to it. I guess they're going to put it on the thumbnail. I don't know. Until they can clone themselves and figure out how to upload it in there. And y'all might think I'm crazy. But they want to do that. They're trying to do all of those things. No, they're tied to saving the earth. It's going, we're going to save it. They're tied to the religion of science. They're tied to all of these things, but it all will perish. In fact, we already know from last week, verse 4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath. Y'all remember that one? So even the wealth that they are, are, are laying up, none of it, none of it will matter when they die. It dies with them. So it says, when a wicked man dies, it's such a sad thing, his expectation, everything that he's tied to, everything he has hope in will perish. And notice it says, and the hope of the unjust perishes as well. Even a good person who doesn't know the Lord, their hope 
what they're longing for, it perishes with them. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart if you hear the the, the conviction of the Lord when you hear a message come forth because today is the day of salvation. Uh, We are, if you will, in this life having the opportunity to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, amen, so that we can have our life secure for all eternity, and we have done that. And so this Proverbs puts this thing in a little bit of perception here. We understand according to the prophets that the earth is going to be judged and taken out and only those that know the Lord will have eternal life. And I'm going to come back to that, okay? Now, verse 8. Y'all doing all right? Verse 8 says, and the hope of the unjust, I'm sorry, no, verse 8, the righteous is delivered. I'm so sorry, y'all. I need to move a little fast. I'm so used to taking my time here. The righteous is noticed delivered from trouble and it comes to the wicked instead. And I, I need you all to catch these things, and we'll talk about them. On the surface, as we look at verse 8, it's interesting. The righteous is delivered from trouble. It comes to the wicked instead. Well, I got to tell you what the word means here for deliver. Now, before I even do that, the righteous, stay with me for a moment. It's important that you remember what we talked about last week. Who are the righteous? The righteous, as we found out, are those who have placed their faith in the promise of God for salvation, which we know is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, right? But even in the Old Testament, those who were considered righteous are those who placed their faith in the gospel message of God. Galatians tells us that the gospel was preached to Abraham. In other words, Abraham Abraham didn't understand the fullness of the gospel the way we do, but what he understood is that God said, through your seed, all the earth will be blessed. So Abraham understood that the promise that God had made Adam of the seed of the woman coming, which is the virgin birth who would uh, crush the work of Satan and bring deliverance would come through his offspring and he believed God even when he was too old, Abraham speaking, to even have children. And so the Bible says that because he believed God, it was accounted to him or imputed to him as righteousness. We remember that, right? So then Old Testament or New Testament, the same thing applies that those who have placed faith in the plan of God for salvation, which we understand is through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, We are deemed to be the righteous. All right, we're good there, right? So it says here, the righteous, notice, is delivered from trouble. Well, I got to admit first that the word means to remove, to draw out, to take away, to rescue. Now, y'all see where this is going. The righteous will be rescued from trouble, drawn out from it, and it will come to the wicked instead. Now that has an ultimate fulfillment we know in the Lord coming for the righteous. But on the surface at the ground level, we sometimes will wonder how does this play out? Because as we know it and as we see it, sometimes it seems like the righteous get themselves or find themselves in the midst of some troublesome situations, right? Amen, don't we know that? But even in that, God is faithful, but ultimately he will deliver them. And this is what we know. Isaiah 57, one says it this way. The righteous perish and no man takes it to heart. In other words, the righteous will go through some things and nobody takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away While no one considers that the righteous is taken away, notice, from evil. God says sometimes the the, the deliverance of the righteous is to get them out the way before he deals with things. Notice, um, as we go on, I can't do all of these. Um, Here's one. 
Luke 16, verse 25, when Jesus was talking about Lazarus and the rich man, he says, um, and the rich man who had lived rich on earth but died is speaking to Father Abraham in Abraham's bosom. And he said, hey, send Lazarus, that poor old beggar, to dip his finger in some cold water and quench my thirst. Y'all remember that? All right, he says, but Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and likewise Lazarus is evil. But now he is comforted, notice, and you're what? Tormented. Lazarus has seen some trouble on earth, but now he has total deliverance from that. And it came upon the rich man. I love these pictures. Here's a good one. Esther chapter 7, verse 10. Haman had built gallows in which he was going to hang Mordecai the Jew from it because he hated the Jews. And so it says in, in Esther 7.10, it says, so they hang Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. That's the king's wrath subsided. I love that. In other words, it, uh, Mordecai was delivered and it came upon Haman. I love those. Or Daniel in the lion's den. I don't have time to read that one. Look, he was in trouble. Now, he ended up using the lion as a pillow, but nevertheless, he was in trouble. He felt in trouble when he was going in, and those who loved him thought he was in trouble. But what happened? The next day, he was delivered, and the king threw the men who framed Daniel in the lion's den. Now, I can go through the history of my life and find stories similar to this, maybe not as drastic, of course, but similar to this, and there are times on ground level when God does these things. Then there are times on ground level when, when, the, when the righteous go through these things and their deliverance is ultimately being with the Lord. Because see, the difference between the righteous and the wicked is that no matter what goes on down here, I got deliverance already covered. If I understand life, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but the reality is the reality, okay? The reality is I can't die and eternity looks pretty good for me. Whereas those who are unjust, those who are wicked, they have eternal torment ahead of them and their hope will perish with them. I think some lights going off over here, aren't they? All right. And so we need to understand this picture that's coming between these two verses. Listen to me very carefully. Verse 7 says that whatever, whatever the wicked are tied to, the hope of their expectation, it dies with them. Okay, whereas the righteous have this everlasting foundation, chapter 10 tells us this. Okay, y'all remember that, all right? Verse 8 tells us that righteous are delivered from trouble, and it goes upon the wicked instead. And this constant theme throughout is a challenging thing because it's bringing me back to this picture of what should be happening in the heart of the believer. What is your hope tied to determines how you live your Christian life out down here. And there are some troubling things, I believe, happening within the Christian church that I'm concerned about. Let me give it to you this way. Your hope, what you're longing for, what you're tied to, because I need you to think about that for a moment. Think it through. What is it? Titus says it should be, uh, well, Paul says it should be when he wrote to Titus. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 on the screen says, looking for the blessed hope. Y'all see it? And glorious, glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there's this thing called the Granville Sharp Rule. Um, he was a man that, that, in studying the Greek, developed this rule, helping us understand the language. And what it, it, it basically says that when you have sometimes what looks like two different things might actually be the same. And in this particular verse, what he is saying is that Savior Jesus Christ is tied to great God 
because it's one and the same in the flow of the Greek language. You follow me? So what the writer Paul is saying is that Christ has his deity intact here because it's saying that he is our great God and our Savior. You follow me? And we are to be looking for him to come from, from heaven. In fact, the next verse I want to put up, 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, And to wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, even Jesus who, and there's the word again in the, he, in the Greek, we saw it in the Hebrew, who delivers us, rescues us from the wrath to come. Now, this is interesting stuff because it seems as though the apostles kept saying the same thing all the way through the New Testament. In fact, it seems like our hope is tied constantly to these things, so much so that the apostles were constantly reminding the church of these things. But I am afraid that we have challenges today. You know, and it's difficult for those who want to teach truth. Hey, even Davon, who filled in Wednesday night, and I quote him so I can share, um, give the critics somebody else to target other than just me. Davon actually said on Wednesday night, and I quote the young man, he says, it's unbiblical for the church to be on earth during the great tribulation, which is really true because you don't see when you go through the book of Revelation, the church after it's in heaven as John sees it in chapter 4 of Revelation until she's with the Lord Jesus at his return in Revelation 19. So we understand these things, but these things bring contention today and even division within the church because there are some, listen to me very carefully, there are some who would prefer that pastors do not mention Bible prophecy in any level of detail. And, and see, now I guess I understand as I'm watching this tension unfold now, I'm understanding finally why a lot of uh, churches are, don't really teach the Bible anyway because when you, you know, they, they don't want to teach the Bible because they have to deal with so much conflict when they do. In fact, e even to the degree that when I was a tweens teacher, um, Back at the, the old church, I was a tweens teacher, and I was teaching the book of Revelation to fifth graders, you know. And some of them were really excited. And what happened was this one girl, she got afraid. And so she told her mom. And so her mom went to leadership, and leadership came back and says, hey, look, you know, y'all don't teach the book of Revelation. Stay in the gospel of John. John is safe. You know, it's a good church, though, Bible teaching church. I'm not trying to bash that. What I'm simply saying is there's a mentality. There's an issue there. You know why it's an issue? Because the same kids watch way more demonic stuff on Disney than they was going to get from me through Revelation. And in fact, it probably would have been an opportunity for that girl. She probably was afraid because she didn't know the Lord. And if mama had kept herself out of it, the little girl would have heard the word long enough to maybe get saved. And so pastors are afraid to hit the things that they need to hit because there's so much backlash. It's always been the case. One brother sat through first service and came running up to me, showing me Jeremiah when King Zedekiah went at, Zedemi uh, went at Jeremiah and said, why are you prophesying these things? Try to shut him up. Because it's the word of God, King. You need to hear it. And so we have this tension in the church today. Y'all stay with me. Y'all doing okay? I got to point it out because I think that it's, it's an it's a indication of where we're living. There's a demonic influence, and there's a lot of people within the Christian church. And when I say the church, I don't mean this congregation, but I mean the greater church as a whole. And I want to show it to you. In fact, if you would turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, but for those of you who you, you may not be able to find it or you're at home um, and you, you know, maybe not be able to find it, we're going to put it on the screen when I start reading. But 2 Peter chapter 2. 
because there's a consistent, this theme that even Solomon is mentioning is consistent throughout the scripture. Second Peter chapter three, we're making, second Peter is the two, chapter three is the, is the chapter, I'm sorry, okay. Second Peter chapter three, I'm excited, you know, yeah. And I really want to get to verse three, but I want to read the whole, I want to read a lot of this to you. I want you to, I want you to hear, hear the heart of the apostle. He says, beloved, I write to you this second epistle, because we know he wrote the first one, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. So he's saying, I want to stir up your pure mind, and I'm going to do it by way of reminder. Well, what is Peter saying? Well, what Peter is alluding to is the things that he's about to say are not new. Maybe newly written by him for us to read, but he's saying you already know these things because we have told them to you already. In fact, we know that Paul did the same thing after only spending a few weeks in Thessalonica and then leaving. And when he went right back to them in 1 Thessalonians um, chapter uh, 4 in, uh, in writing about the rapture and, uh, and then the day of the Lord in chapter 5. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, writing about the apostasy and the day of the Lord, he would often say, you know these things. When I was with you, I told you these things. You follow what I'm saying? So what the apostles are saying is there's some, there's some common stuff that they taught all the way through, of which is in conflict today. Let's keep going. So it says that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Lord and Savior. Now look, here's what he just said then. He said, look, that you would remember what was preached by the holy prophets of the Old Testament meaning that this was preached beforehand, and now even the New Testament apostles of the Christian church are still preaching. So Peter is saying, these things, I want to stir up your pure mind or, or even your spirit by reminding you of these common themes that are from the Old Testament prophets right through the end of the New Testament. So there's nothing new. This is, this is Bible and why is there a conflict about it? Well, what is he going to stir us up? What does he want to remind us of? Verse 3 gets to the crux of it. He says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. In other words, there would be those who would scoff or those who would mock some things in the last days because of their own lust. What do you mean their own lust? Well, when you lust is strong desire. When your hope is tied to the things of this earth, you don't want to talk about certain things because it brings some concern. You follow me? And that's what we're going to get into. And one of them is prophecy. There's a lot of people saying that pastors shouldn't be touching on these things. You know, they are distracting the church. Well, distracting the church from what? If this is the common Bible theme, then it's not a distraction, it's a refocusing that should be constantly done within the body of believers. Does that make sense? So in other words, they are trying to distract through their lusts and keep people focused on the things of this world. And that's what false teachers always do. They, they, they want you focused on your best life now and, and, getting, and, 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 and covetousness things because they lust for things and they want you to give money to their ministries. But what he's saying is, look, all the Old Testament prophets said the same thing, and most of them were killed. And then the apostles said the same thing through, and guess what? 
Most of them were killed. Now listen. So he says that scoffers, mockers will come, walking according to their own lust, not according to trying to please the Lord, not according to caring for the flock, not according to wanting to point people to the truth, but they will walk after their own lust. Now what does Peter say that they will say? Verse 4, y'all okay? He says, and saying, look at this, listen very carefully and don't go to sleep. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation, which is a lie. So they do two things. They question, they question the coming of the Lord Jesus, and then they lie about it to, to make us realize that, well, maybe you're right. Maybe I shouldn't be concerned with those things. Maybe, I, maybe, maybe some of these guys is, and people who are doing prophecy updates or maybe somebody who's trying to speak to the church about the times we live in or maybe people who are trying to warn the king that judgment's coming because of wickedness should shut up. And this is what Peter is saying that they would say which tells us where we live because if you are paying attention, there are those in the church today that would say the same thing. And notice the lie. Where is he, where is he coming, they ask. He ain't here yet. All things continue like it was from creation. And Peter's going to deal with the lie in just a moment. It's a flat-out lie. I want to give you an example of how religious people who are wicked can lie. And it's in a uh, really quick side note. Um, in the Gospel of John on the screen, oh, I don't think I have it on the screen, but chapter 8, Jesus is dealing with the, the crowd. He's talking to the Jews, and the Pharisees are contending with him. Y'all bear with me. And Jesus said uh, in, in chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said um, to the Jews who believed him. He said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, based on some previous things he just said, the Pharisees answered him and said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And they were lying. What do I mean they were lying? They had been in bondage over and over and were still in bondage. How do you know? Well, a look, God told Abraham, your descendants will be in slavery for 400 years in, in the land of Egypt, okay? Then they got out, and guess what? They, were, they went back because of their rebellion into exile and slavery in Babylon. Y'all know that, right? But even when they got out of Babylon, they weren't free because even as Jesus is talking to them, they're going to have to go and ask Pilate, the Roman, permission to crucify Jesus because they can't do it on their own. They can't do it because they're still not free at that point. So they're lying. They're blinded by their wickedness and their covetousness because they were stealing from the people. So this is something that's being hinted towards here. So people are lying about the truth. And so Peter says that they will say, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But notice verse 5. We're going to continue here. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in water, which is very interesting language, which I don't want to spend time on now. Um, verse 6, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. So he's dispelling the lie. He said, that's not true because we've already seen God judge the world once. Wake up. Right? He's saying he's already done this one time, and we need to listen to what he's saying now. He says, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, verse 7, preserved by, by the same word. The word of God is preserving. We know that. The Bible says that all things are held together by the word of his power, meaning Jesus Christ, right? 
he created all things and him all things consist. No, it says, and reserve, notice this, y'all, for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In other words, the world we see and everything we love in it is being reserved for the oven, for judgment. And this is, this is difficult sometimes. And I understand how it can be easily to listen to the mockers because we all desire to see some things happen on the earth. We have expectations. You know, I can imagine young people who are ready to get married and Pastor Kevin's talking about, you know, judgment's coming and Jesus is going to come soon, you know, and that can be a little scary. Heck, I want to have grandchildren. And if the Jesus come back today, I won't see them. But I don't think any of us are going to be in heaven and be disappointed and upset with Jesus about when he came, <laughs> Right? So that's the reality of the thing, okay? So we live until he gets here, but we can't, we can't worry about all of those things. Jesus is coming. In fact, man, look, this is the, understanding this truth, loving Jesus and loving his word messes you up because you, you, you kind of jacked up now because you're like, man, I can't wait to see Jesus. And it kind of it takes the forefront of your heart, but it also allows you to not be as stressed about things that are going on down here because that's healthy living and that's what it was intended to do. When the elders came in for prayer this morning, you know, one of the things we encourage each other now with, you know what, because we pray for everything, every prayer request, every need, everything that's going on in the congregation, we're praying about it, but we encourage ourselves with this, and Jesus is coming soon. And it's almost like a football huddle, man. We're like looking at everything that's going on and what people are going through, rejoicing because a lady who had been in the hospital for three weeks, she's home now, and we're just rejoicing and everything. And we see all these trials and whatnot, and we're like, man, Jesus is coming. High five. It's break. You know, ready, break, go do the play, you know. Jesus is coming. It comes the focus of those who love him and love his appearing. And this is where we have to be focused. So he says that the earth is reserved for judgment. Verse 8, I want to get you the get to a few more of these. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, he says in verse 8, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And that's very tempting for me to spend like another 30 minutes right there. But, and when I first read this as a, as a young person falling in love with the Lord in the word, I should say as much as I was at the time, this verse bothered me because I'm like, no, don't say that, Peter, because I don't want to be here for a thousand years because God is promising some better things. But no, 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 what's happening here is this is prophetic language for the fact that God stands, lives outside of time and knows the beginning from the end. And so, therefore, he can call all things into him. Uh, a thousand years is like one day. It's no big deal and vice versa. And this is why the prophets struggle to understand the things that God puts in their hearts. Because at one minute, the prophet is, is pronouncing judgment against an earthly king like the king of Tyre. And before he can even finish his breath, coming out of that is this judgment against Satan. How can he be judging the same? Because God, who stands outside of time and sees it all, and as he's pronouncing judgment on that earthly king, he's also pronouncing judgment on the demonic entity behind him because God sees the whole thing that he's going to do at one glance. And so for him, that's the case. Now, we do know there is a prophetic day of a thousand years called the millennial reign of Jesus Christ upon the earth at his return. Amen? And so I don't want to spend more time there right now, but, but maybe another time. So verse 9. Well, if all of this is the case, then the Lord, he says here in verse 9, is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. In other words, you want to mock just because it's been about 2,000 years? No, 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 no. What we need to understand 
is that when we look at the last 2,000 years through the eyes of the Bible, and if we would be honest, we would, we would discover some things. Any idiot with a Google or a history book can look at the last 2,000 years and come to the realization that the previous 19 centuries were nothing like this, pre, this century, this last 100 years that we just looked at. Well, in what way, Pastor Kevin? Well, in the last 100 years, all of the things that the prophets talked about have been put in place. You know, even as Daniel says that many would run to and fro and knowledge would increase. And then one of the things that we know is that, you know, 100 years ago, it would have taken me a month to get to California. And I can go to RDU without a reservation and buy a ticket today on the spot and be there before y'all have dinner. Because things are different now. Technology, travel, the exchange of communication, our understanding of things has it just spiked exponentially in, in just the last, really in less than a half, less than 100 years, technology has gone crazy. You know, uh, the, 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 the ability for warfare, everything Jesus talked about, we have the ability, this has been the most bloody 100 years ever, and we have the ability to wipe off little countries off the map with just a couple of missiles, just within the last 100 years. And Jesus says, you want to know what it's going to look like? Well, let me sit here on the mountain and tell you, I'm going to take my sandal and get the rocks out of the pebbles out, and y'all just listen as I tell you that in the last days, many people will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and we've seen many of those and still see them. A few years ago, there was a dude claiming to be Messiah who was in Texas doing some seminars at a hotel, and people were paying to go. His wife was with him, and she was evidently Mary Magdalene, and people actually paid money to go. It was crazy to me because you know how you can tell if a person is the Messiah or not? If they say they are, then they are not. Because Jesus says, don't go looking for me. And if somebody says I'm out there, you know they're lying. Because when they see, here's what Jesus said. No, his words, when they see me, it'll be darkness and the sky will be cracked. And all eyes will see me descending with eyes of flame of fire coming back in utter judgment against this world. So that's when they'll see Jesus. So every false Messiah that we're dealing with now is false. He says, look, don't worry about nothing. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, and they're going to be pestilence and famines and plagues and pandemics and all of these things. These are going to happen. It's going to move forward, and it's going to move fast. Behold, I come quickly. In other words, we're in a, a time frame where things have sped up because 100 years ago, we didn't even have a nation called Israel. They didn't, have, they didn't have a nation. They were scattered all over the world. They didn't have a language. They didn't have an economy. Now there is the language of Hebrew and the economic um, currency is the shekel as the majority of the Jews on the planet now live in Israel. They have a nation and they're still migrating back there. All of this stuff with, within less than 100 years, just like that, it all came and shaped up. Okay, y'all follow me? So these are things that we have to take into consideration. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a moment. So now look at what Peter says. So Peter says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hey, even the message of judgment is because he wants people to get saved, so he wants the message to be true. So then he says in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It's going to happen quickly. It's going to unfold just like that, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. 
all our stuff's going to burn up. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, he says in verse 11, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening? Man, that's some interesting language. Maybe you want to speed this thing up. Let's live holy. Looking for and because holiness exposes wickedness even more. Looking for, he says, and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire. The heavens are going to be on fire and the elements will melt with the fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth which righteousness dwells. And so we hear these things, Old and New Testament. And, you know, those who are called to serve God are called, especially pastors are called, you hear this terminology all the time, a pastor is supposed to be a watchman on the wall. The problem with that is what that means is if you go back to Ezekiel and listen to what we've been studying on Wednesday nights is that means that he is to hear the word from the Lord and then warn the people. That's what Ezekiel was charged with. You know, you hear a lot of people excited about Bible prophecy. Some people are, that's all they see. And others don't want anything to do with it. And I do believe there's somewhere in the middle we need to be because we're supposed to be expecting some things to happen. Because we're supposed to be, if you will, driven by this hope to see Jesus. Are y'all with me? So when you see things going on in the world, like the things that are currently going on in the world, this is why people get very, very, very excited. Like, for instance, what's happening with, with the Ukraine right now, with Russia going into the Ukraine and taking it. And it's very interesting to watch all of this unfold. It really is. I was talking with um, a young man in Western Europe on the phone yesterday. Um, and I asked him, I said, do you all have family in the Ukraine? And he says, no, but we have church family in the Ukraine. You know how churches fellowship with one another. And so people from his church were going to be taking a 13, 14 hour drive across Germany and Poland to the border to pick up the church people they know from the Ukraine and bring them back because they're going to live there in the Western European country that they're in that I, I don't want to mention. Um, and he said, I, he said, man, all of Europe is united right now to help the Ukrainians. And I said to him, I said, do you think that if Putin is able to successfully do this quickly in Ukraine that he's got his eyes set on anything else? And he blew my mind. I didn't think, I didn't think he was going to say this particular country, but he said, yeah, there's talk of Georgia and potentially others. And I was like, whoa, why Georgia first? Well, you know, if you think about the Ezekiel 38 scenario and the nations that are listed, and we're already out of time, so I'm going to do this a little quick. All of those nations, which include um, geographically Russia, Ukraine, um, most of that Central Europe, and all the way down through Turkey, Georgia being part of that area, and Armenia coming down into the area of Israel is what it would cover. And the crazy thing about that is when we, we think about these things, and it can get a lot confusing, and really we just got to focus on what the Word is saying for the most part because news is all over the place sometimes. But even now, listen, even now what most people are missing is that Putin has told Israel that he doesn't recognize their sovereign control over the Golan Heights and all that area up by Galilee. And Israel is actually doing some things in that area. And Russia controls militarily Syria. Um, and so really in all of this playing out, it's kind of like a preview, if you will. And this may not be what Ezekiel was speaking of specifically, but it's definitely a preview because it lays out 
everything exactly the way it's described, why would we think that was coincidental? In fact, why would the same nations mentioned in Scripture even be in relationship with one another except for God is sovereign and he stands outside of time and he's telling us, hey, this is what's going to happen. So we see hints and previews towards it, you know? So it's exciting because anytime we see previews and hints of things developing, it makes us realize, man, the Lord is coming soon. And for us, we will be delivered. And these are interesting things to pay attention to as we focus on what we're called to do. It's exciting to say, man, Jesus could be here tomorrow. That fuels my excitement for living today the way I should, right? Because I see that stuff, I'm like, man, Jesus could be here anytime. But here, here's the, um, I guess, the watchman part of this thing for me. So hear me out. This is more practical. These last few things I'm going to say are, very, are just kind of practical things, and then I'll close. So as I watch things, I like to pay attention to them. And as a, as, a, as a husband and then a father and then a pastor, my concern is like, Lord, what, what, what should I know concerning those I love and for the times we live in until you come for the church? And so I listen to people with those kind of ears, all right? I listen to what politicians say. I'm just listening, you know, see what the Lord might show. And, you know, one of the things that I heard last week is that, you know, our president was urging Zelensky, the, the president of, um, of Ukraine, to flee his country. So I listened to that. What I heard was that our president, his heart is, if that was happening to the United States, he would flee our country. That's the way I took it. So then I said, okay, man, well, we, we left Americans in another country. We left millions of dollars of our military equipment there, which Ukraine could actually use right now. So I, what I hear is un, that we have, we have government officials that are not trustworthy. I asked a guy earlier with the government things I can say and I couldn't, and he told me I was good. So... <laughs> So what I hear is, well, we can't trust our leadership. But great thing, I love to see the, the leader of the Ukraine stand down there with his men and those young men, and they're, they're, willing, to, they're willing to fight, and, and that's an awesome thing. But that's kind of what I hear. Then I see lines of people trying to get to ATM machines and gas stations and in these long convoys trying to get out of the country because they weren't really warned. They were told it was going to not be what it is, and now they're, they're fleeing, you know, and... I think, Lord, what do we need to take from that? Because most of us as Americans, you know, the people who went through the Depression and, and, and served in World War II, they're not really around in the church, you know? We don't, we don't really have people that serve. Anybody in here serve in World War II? Okay. All right. I just want to make sure. Okay. Anybody in here go through the Great Depression? All right. So these are an example. So this is where we are. You know, things can change. Stuff can be forgotten in one generation. You follow what I'm saying? So... I'm looking at these lines, and I'm thinking from my old banking days. They're, they're lined up on the day of trying to flee, getting money out of an ATM. Y'all, the reality is, when I worked in banking, banks don't keep that much money in there. People think banks have millions of dollars. I, it, it's so funny. Guys rob banks thinking they're going to get money. The average bank robber gets less than $3,000, and there's a reason for that. Because tellers don't keep that much money at their station, they have to get the rest from the vault. And even in the vault, there might be a couple of hundred thousand. 
at the most. And that's usually on, on days like Mondays when everybody was, was night depositing their stuff from a long weekend of business, you know? So you don't have that much money, and, and ATMs don't have that much money. They got less than 50000 sometimes less than 25000 because most people go get a few bills, get $100 or $200 when they're on vacation or for the weekend. So what that tells me is, like, if everybody in this room went to clean out all their money in the banks we have in Clayton, which is only about 10 branches, we would shut the banks in Clayton down today. We could do that because they don't have that much money in them. The money goes to the Federal Reserve. They buy and sell as they need, okay? Which tells me this, y'all. This is all I'm saying. This is just me practically saying as I love you. Don't wait to lying government officials flee to prepare yourself for things. I, I, I feel weird even saying it. <laughs> but there's certain things that you can do as the Holy Spirit. As, look, as you're living, here's a, here's a beautiful thing my wife shared with me. Uh, these Ukrainian people in their fleeing um, took time to just have worship, you know. And, and because Christians, we are the most unusual people upon the earth. We're peculiar. We can be fleeing from bombs and be in the middle of a bomb shelter and somebody will pull out a guitar and we go into a worship service. And we're like, or pull out, a, somebody's going to pull out a Bible, we're going to have a Bible study in the middle of a cornfield. Would y'all say amen to that? Because we have the joy of the Lord and that is our strength. Amen. So we understand that. But all I'm saying is, man, yeah, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we're believers. We listen to, we believe the word of God and we listen to the voice of the Lord always. And so I think we live in times where you kind of got to get your head out of the media. And you can't trust your politician. I mean, oh, and I meant to tell you, please take your um, political affiliations and set it aside for a moment. We're talking about church things, okay? We got to get unified on Jesus and his word. I don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat. We got to get unified on Jesus and his word. Amen. So with those things, you got to think. You don't want to be in a line trying to get gas or trying to get money out of an ATM when crazy things are happening. So what do you do? What does the Lord tell you to do? That's what you have to do at this point. That's all I'm going to say about that. But the good news is this. Because we love the Lord and know his word, these things to us are things that we can be excited about as we are praying for those who are kind of in the midst of it. And it's a beautiful thing to see in Europe the church pulling together to minister to one another. That's the stuff the media ain't going to tell you. That's the stuff you ain't going to hear. You're going to have to see that in a Christian magazine or talk to a missionary. And missionaries aren't fleeing either, a lot of them. You know, it's like the, the church just comes alive in the midst of, of the chaos. And people are going to get saved like crazy, I guarantee you, and all of that. And so um, it's a wonderful thing to be alive in the church today and to read God's Bible and, and know what he is doing in the world. And guess what, man? This is a preview. This doesn't mean anything's about to pop off and Jesus is going to be here this week. I'm not saying that. There's no date setting or anything like that, you know, none of that stuff. But it does say that, man, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When we see stuff like this, we should be like, oh. Oh, man, Jesus, you was talking about this stuff. The prophets were talking about this stuff. You were, you know, God is sovereign. How could these things even be looking like this unless God already knew? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you today for allowing us to be here. We pray that you would keep us and strengthen us and carry us through this week, Lord God, until we're able to meet again with you as a congregation. Um, Lord, we pray that you would um, watch over our homes, our when we are in our vehicles, Lord, in schools and marketplaces and, and businesses, Lord. And uh, we love you. We thank you that you told us beforehand 
the way the world would look as we get close to the final hours in this world, Lord. And, and so we just thank you for those things and pray that you would keep us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.